Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know us, we're that HR dashboard that's helping all of you HR and people leaders get rid of the time-consuming, tedious, and manual process you all call HR reporting. That's right. We've spoken to hundreds, maybe thousands of you at this point that have all said that you're tired of pulling messy spreadsheets and data from all your different systems and trying to pull it together to get some type of data-driven view of your workforce. And it's even more important now with COVID and remote work and hybrid work where you can't even see all your employees to even know what's going on. So how do you make sense of this? Glad you asked. That's why Employee Cycle created your HR dashboard with pre-integrated connectors to all the most popular HR systems out there. So if you're using systems like ADP, Bamboo HR, Paylocity, Namely, Greenhouse, Clever, Reflective, 15.5, you name it, we can automatically bring in all your data into one place so you can view, share, track, and analyze all that people data from one unified view. Go to EmployeeCycle.com, check us out. We'd love to give you a demo so we can help explore how we can automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company, because today we have an awesome guest. So please help me welcome to the show, Regina Kroll. She's the VP of HR at LurchBates. And today we're discussing why HR is mission critical to completing a successful company acquisition. Regina, welcome to the podcast. Great, thank you, Bruce. Glad to be here. Thank you for being here as well. So, Regina, we want to kick this thing off the best way we know how, and that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Um, Great question, Bruce. So, about 25 years ago, I was in the banking industry and then ended up in retail and was focused mainly on operations, which back then included personnel, so a lot of hiring, firing, and training. Um, And then I ended up with the Home Depot and worked with them for about 10 years, and they made the position um, officially HR, and that's what pretty much started the whole thing. So I stayed with them for 10 years, uh, opened stores, hiring, training, um, then I would open a new store. So I opened the Colorado Market. And then by the time I had my 35th store done, I ended up going into corporate HR, working for startups. Um, So I worked with two brand new startup companies, did not have HR departments and built those from scratch. And the rest is history. I've been in corporate HR ever since. Thanks so much for that awesome background. So because today we're talking about acquiring companies, it's always good to know and get some background information in regards to which company acquired who, what do the companies do, and why did that happen? So if you could give us some background around your company and what does your company do, what company did you acquire, what do they do, and then how is this all supposed to work together? Great. Um, So our company, uh, we're mainly in vertical transportation, which is basically everything elevators and escalators. And so our consultants work with architects, to figure out what equipment to put in, what they want accomplished, how many people they're moving, how many square feet or floors they're moving to. Um, we bought, in the last 10 years, we've bought two smaller companies, 
one for inspections. And then the latest one, which was the biggest one, is a whole new separate division for us. So it's building envelopes. So everything on the outside of the building, which includes forensics, if something goes wrong, it includes air testing to make sure the building is solid. Um, And then it also includes how to maintain the outside of the building. And the first acquisition um, was a little challenging. It was in New York. Our corporate office is in Denver, Colorado. And it was more of like a, we let them kind of just operate on their own for five years. Um, Just didn't change the name, didn't change the corporate structure. They still did all the support on their own. Um, They just became part of the corporate umbrella. Um, So we realized with the second major acquisition, we wanted to do things a little bit differently. And keep in mind, I've only been with the company for three years. So the second acquisition, um, when we started the planning, uh, I really had a lot of serious, tough conversations with this, the executive team here about how um, HR, uh, accounting, IT, all the support functions needed to be involved up front. And that really helps with a smoother integration. Um, working for the startups in my previous life, I've, I've worked both sides of the table. So a company being acquired as well as acquiring company. And it was definitely beneficial to have the support groups involved up front because you've got to build those relationships. And those are usually the areas that are impacted the most. Uh, So as long as you're sitting at the table, you can really have good input to how the entire process looks, as well as getting everybody on board from the company being acquired and getting their hearts and minds involved um, with the vision of the new company going forward. And it kind of gives everybody more purpose rather than counting the days to if there's going to be a potential layoff. So we keep those lines of communication open so that we really understand what they're bringing to the table, what we're bringing to the table, and then how we work together going forward, building a business even better. How early do you think HR should be in the conversation around looking to strategically acquire another company? So let me just think of some initial inflection points that might trigger an acquisition, bigger company, or doesn't always have to be a bigger company, but acquiring company may need talent in, in a certain area. It's really hard to find talent for those specific roles. Should HR come to the executive team and say, hey, it's really hard to find talent in this area, so maybe we acquire a business? Is it that early? Or is it more about the executive leadership team coming to the table saying from a business opportunity, this is where we're looking to move. And then HR should be a part of that strategic conversation. I almost see it as a little bit of both. Um, usually it's it's good business sense, especially in the industry I'm in now. Um, I have been in companies before that have purchased because of the talent. So that definitely makes sense as well, uh, which is why, I mean, like I mentioned before, it's very important to have HR at the table and know about what those opportunities are and why we're considering them as opportunities. Because either way, I mean, if you're you're building the talent, you obviously want to retain as many people as you can. And if you're um, buying it for the business, um, like for us, it's a new division, then we want to make sure that we're retaining, but we're also creating the right support system for them to be successful. As the executive team is thinking about which companies to target, what kind of requirements or due diligence are you sharing with the leadership team that they should be considering as they're looking at different companies, specifically around the workforce? I think culture is definitely very, very important. 
Um, if you've got two completely different cultures, I mean, that's that's the reason why 90% of um, mergers and acquisitions fail is if you've got people reading from two completely different operating manuals. Uh, we had a little bit of a struggle with this acquisition because they are strictly engineering. Um, so the company is right down the street, but they operate very differently than how we do. So they've got a process for everything. They've got a procedure manual for everything which is something we know we needed to do. And so that was part of the reason that was a positive aspect of the acquisition. But then again, it's also a big challenge for corporate because we don't have a lot of processes that are that are nailed down into like manual type forms. Uh, we follow, we're pretty kind of shoot from the hip, I guess you could say, um, and really kind of follow every day we talk to each other without setting up meetings two weeks in advance. So uh, culture is huge. I want to stick with this culture point in the culture variable for a second, because for a lot of companies, company is very fluid. It's this ambiguous thing where you don't know what it is until you see it. And so I'm curious, when you're looking at a company and you want the you want the two different cultures to mesh, what are all the different parts of the culture that you're thinking about? So I'm, I'm thinking, are, are we talking if one company does half day Fridays, is that a part of the culture or is that more an operational thing? Or if one company does three months off from maternity or paternity leave and the other company only gives 30 days, is that a culture thing? I'm trying to distinguish between what's culture versus what are things that are just so tactical and granular that those are things that you can just change and they're not really a big deal. Well, that's a great question. I mean, because culture is a very squishy topic, right? So when they talk about when you talk about culture, it's mainly about how things get done. I mean, companies have rule books and processes and procedures, but how do really think how do, re, do things really get done? I mean, it, at corporate office, the CEO is in the corner office, the CFO is right next door, I'm right across the hall, um, and we go in and talk to each other all the time about what's going on and what's coming up and what do we need to focus on for today and what are some hot topics. Um, but a, a great example is the company we acquired. So the president of that company, uh, when you look at his schedule, he is very regimented and, and that's his engineering background. So when the CEO of our company wants to have a meeting with him, he has to schedule it like a week in advance. That is a huge culture shift between the two companies. Um, so a lot of it comes down to communicating and expectations. Um, so what type of commitments are you making? What type of expectations do they have? Uh, when you're communicating, do they expect a response to an email within 24 hours? Or is it, I'll get to it when I get to it. And if it's a priority, um, I'll definitely just let me know and I'll respond as soon as I can. So that's the, the huge difference between the two cultures. Um, I mean, a lot of them are if you do social events and the employees go out and have a great time, that's a culture that's different than somebody who just comes in, works Monday through Friday, eight to five, maybe hangs out with their coworkers at lunch and that's it. Mm, those are great tangible examples. I appreciate that. Okay, so after you have worked with the leadership team, you saw some companies that are now targets that you want to acquire, and you're saying, hey, team, we got to make sure that the culture is right. You, you start talking to the company. Obviously, you go through all their financials and all that stuff to see if you know all the things are accurate and you're doing your due diligence there. But how do you test and evaluate culture in this external way? 
within, I'm assuming, a few weeks or maybe a few months without actually living and breathing it internally? Well, I think there's a few ways that you can do that. One is, um, which was something we really struggled with during COVID, is trying to get the two leadership teams together and just having conversations, um, like maybe a happy hour or over lunch or some type of uh, um, external team building activity. That will give you huge insight into what the company culture is. And even just maybe visiting the office, um, walking in, hanging out for a couple hours, doing meet and greets. Um, sometimes that's, if, if it's not possible, I mean, obviously, then you just, you have to base it off of um, internal documents and internal processes and just one-on-one interviews. But if you can really go there and hang out for a few hours, you get a great feel for what the company is like and what the culture is like. And if it's going to be a good fit, or even if it's malleable. So, I mean, they don't have to be identical cultures, but they should be complementary at the very minimum. Does the headcount size of the company that you're acquiring in relation to a percentage of your existing headcount matter? And so what I mean by that is, well, let me ask you this. How many employees did you have before you acquired the company and how many employees do they have independently? Um, We have 250 under Lurch Bates and the acquiring company had 101. So almost just under half our size. And the acquisition before that was only 20 employees. So that one was a lot easier. Okay. So the second one was pretty meaningful, but let's go back to the first. If you're at 200-ish employees and you're acquiring a company that might be 5 to 10% of your headcount size, is there this sliding scale where the less amount of employees or the lower number of employees that you would be bringing in, the less culture matters? Or even if it was two people, doesn't matter. If the culture doesn't mesh, then it's a no-go. I, I think um, the culture is first, because uh, even if it's two people, you, you're buying them for a reason. So you don't want those two people to leave, unless you're just buying the, um, the proprietary information. But um, usually c- culture would be first before it's headcount. Got it. Okay, great. So now you've went through all the hard work of acquiring this company. Everything seems like it checks the box. Seems like you're moving into this great marriage. How do you now blend these cultures together? Because just because they seem like they'll work well doesn't necessarily mean they're exactly the same. Because culture is typically different in at least some way, form or fashion, company to company. So how do you decide how to blend these two together? And then is it take the best of each and push that across the entire company? Does some of the employees or the employees of the acquired company get to keep some of the things that they're doing, even though you might not think that that's the best way to manage the entire company that's combined into the overall? How does that work? Um, well, I think it's, it's, it's a stair-step integrated process. And I've seen it done both ways. I've seen it done where the larger company um, kind of demands and implements everything that they've done onto the smaller company, which is usually not as successful as where you look at both practices on how each company is doing things and take the best of both worlds and make that the process going forward. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. So the company we acquired is very um, heavy engineering and we're pretty, as a corporate company, we're light on the engineering side. I mean, our project managers, um, some of them are mechanical engineers, but it's not a requirement. And so our engineers wanted to go through a professional engineering license process and the company we acquired 
had a process down. I mean, they had it nailed. They had the training, they had the mentorship assignment, they had the the testing and the certification prep. Um, so we took that process and adopted it uh, corporate wide. So it was a perfect example of we just picked up what they were doing and moved it over to now the whole company does it the same way. Awesome. What about things like benefits or perks? How do you manage that across both companies? Is it the same way where just whoever has the better version, that's that's typically what you should do and provide to everyone across the, across the entire combined company? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what we did. So we looked at the current plan that they had and the current plan that we had, and we ended up with a hybrid plan. So we had a better health care or medical coverage. And so we adopted that plan, but they had a better PPO. So we adjusted one little piece of our medical coverage, but our basic life was higher. So we um, uh, incorporated that across the whole company. So it's the new plan became a complete hybrid of the two plans merged together. Interesting. And then one of the things that you know we see from some of the customers that we work with is that once they acquire a smaller company, you now have duplicate roles. And, and so worst case scenario, you have duplicate roles and then maybe the company gets rid of one of the people because now you don't need, for example, two directors of sales. But on the other side, sometimes these people stay and what you get is this interesting hierarchy where the person who was director of sales before now has to become a manager of sales just to work under the new or the existing director of sales. And there's, I'm sure it gets a lot more granular than this, depending on the department that you're talking about. But how do you deal with that when you now have this new reporting structure and someone who didn't need approval, made all the decisions is now working under someone in a department? How does that now work? And how do you make sure that everyone can gel and work together to make sure that this is a seamless process? Well, you definitely have to do some change management training. Um, I think you, there's, I mean, there's a lot of different examples that you can use out there in a lot of different programs. But first off, you have to have the purpose. Um, so you have to present the what the vision of the unified company looks like going forward. And then you've got to tell the people what part they're going to play in that vision um, and then get the buy-in on how their impact and what their part is going to be going forward. Um, and then also get their, they call it um, playing the part. So what their role is going to look like. And sometimes the role and the part are the same thing, but sometimes they're a little bit different. So sometimes maybe they're seen as a leader in the acquired company. And now they're not so much, quote unquote, the leader for the corporate, but they're still the leader in the acquired company. So you need their hearts and minds in order to get the other people to get buy-in and to get on board. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And in the same vein, sometimes what you'll see when a smaller company is acquired into a larger company is that the smaller company, regardless of how well the HR and leadership team try to make them feel welcome, it still feels like an us versus them. And so how do you make sure that that doesn't happen? Um, I think that's all about communication and then just trying to make sure that they're included. Uh, So when we do... um, That's a good example. Oh, so our summer picnic is coming up now that we can finally have one again. (laughs) Uh, So we're used to having one just around the corporate office in South Denver. And now we're doing a combined event between the two offices because the other office is in North Denver. And so we're making sure that everybody's invited and included and feels like they're part of the corporate office. 
Another thing we did is I actually work out of that office one day a week, as does the CEO. So we alternate. So two days a week, somebody is there from the corporate office just to be available and kind of meet with their team and kind of do one-on-ones and do, I call them shadowing. So I sit down with a lot of people at the acquired company just to learn their jobs and build that relationship with them. So it's, 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 it takes a little bit more commitment and a little bit more energy and involvement, but it definitely is worth the payoff in the end. And then I want to wrap this up asking you about the tech, especially because, you know, this is a huge part of what we do here at Employee Cycle, always thinking about and working with companies to figure out what does their HR tech stack look like, especially when they're this new company and this new entity of a bunch of smaller combined companies. And you may have multiple systems in different areas and trying to figure out where to consolidate. What did that look like for you? And how were you able to bring everybody under one roof using the same HR tech to make sure that you're automating your entire human capital process the same way across this new combined entity? Yes. Um, and that's something we're, I mean, 18 months into this acquisition, we're still working on. Um, Cause that's, that's not something where you just want to flip a switch and then just say, Oh, by the way, you're on a new outlook today. You want to kind of build it into, and we call them sprints. So we did sprints in different sections. So we did the HR first um, and then it came in and did theirs. Cause you don't want to be throwing a bunch of new things at the new employees right off the bat. Cause that just creates frustration and confusion. Um, so the three of us accounting it and finance all got together with, the leaders on this team, as well as the leaders on the acquired company and laid out a schedule of, okay, this is when we're going to do this. And this is when we're going to do this. So the employees are inundated with everything brand new on one day. Got it. I just want to ask you one last question, Regina, for those listening who may be coming up to a situation like this, and they want to make sure that they're putting their best foot forward and they're setting up their company for success after an acquisition. If there was one thing that you would want the listeners of this interview to remember? If they could only remember one thing, what would that be? Um, I think transparency is huge. I mean, acquisitions on their own create a lot of anxiety. Um, and you can go in with the best intentions, but if you don't tell them that, then they're going to make up stories in their own head. So be transparent and communicate every step of the way and even over communicate and be over transparent about how things are going to happen and what the vision looks like. Regina, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and wisdom and experience around such an interesting topic, especially as there's a lot of consolidation across all markets. And so HR leaders being strongly positioned as a mission critical component of this process is only better for not only the acquiring company, but the company being acquired. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and being on our podcast. Go, Regina. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. So, Regina, where can people find you and Lurchbaits online? Um, our, our website is lurchbaits.com. And then I am on LinkedIn as well as Twitter, uh, Regina Kroll. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all of that contact info in the show notes. So for everyone listening out there, if you enjoyed this podcast as much as Regina and I did making it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes and a nice note to say that you got something out of this because it shows that you care and that we're providing great content. Also, if this is your very first time listening to one of our interviews and now you're hungry for more episodes, then please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. 
And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.